0: All right, there we go. Yo. What's Ryan, going on? how are you, man? I am doing well. <laughs> uh, doing well. Sweaty. Good. My garage was hot. I just had to climb a little bit ago, so I'm like, changed shirts like three times because I've already soaked them. But otherwise, <laughs> doing good. Oh, I am dropping out. Hold on. Let's get rid of this. Let me see. Is that better? Can you guys hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you. I just heard someone told me, and you'd be a good person to ask, that these were bad for my brain. Oh yes, <laughs> yep. It and sounds it, like they're still connected though. I might have that might have been a little bit quiet on my end too. Um, okay. Um, let me rehook these and figure this out real quick. One minute. okay better a little can you bit, hear me? still a little bit
0: quiet on my end let me see if I can change this. Mm. these were dropping out.
1: nice cool cool all right now we're gonna awesome. people come in that's fun yeah, man, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat. I got so many questions for you. Because, awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not woke on any of this. I guess we can call it our alternative lifestyle science things. I've been slowly um, getting on board. Like I got the blue light glasses at home, certain other things, but I just don't know enough about like the the structured water other things like that um so yeah i just wanted to pick your brain man because i know you you dove really deep into this stuff and i've been experimenting on yourself uh for a long time you've had protocols that people have loved and a lot of success with so yeah i just want to take the opportunity to go deep yeah, deep with I've
0: it de- <laughs> i've definitely been a human pincushion and guinea pig and And all those different things uh, for for different purposes, you know, the honestly, the blue blockers, you know, there's a lot of hype around kind of wearing blue blockers and how important they are. And they're one piece of the puzzle. Um, And the way that I look at all of these different things that I do is is an understanding that everything that we're exposed to day to day is information. And so whether that's sunlight, or it's artificial light, or it's non-native EMFs, or it's the water you're drinking, or the food you're eating, all of these things, whether it's water or it's food, all can, at the most fundamental levels, are light. And so that light is information. And what happens in our modern world is because the planet is so microwaved with you know, let's say chemtrails and pollution and EMF and geoengineering and, and all these different things that have caused us to be, let's say, bathed in non-native signals. So we're not, we're, we're, the Earth's magnetic field has dropped super far down. People aren't getting enough sunlight. All of that stuff starts to happen while we're simultaneously bathed in EMF or dysregulating signals. And so the reason that like a, a, The difference between EMF and sunlight, let's say, is that the EMF coming from our phones and from our computers and from electronics components have uh, an electrical field component to them. And that electrical field is perpendicular to the the arrangement of the hydrogen bonds and things in the molecules in our body. And when that perpendicular electrical field hits those hydrogen bonds, you start breaking your hydrogen bonds and for those who haven't followed me for a while our body uses light our cells use light to communicate and different spectrums of light cause a warping on the tension in the cell membrane and it does this by basically every frequency of light is is a basically a sine wave vibrating at a certain frequency And that frequency information hits the hydrogen bonds in water and causes those hydrogen molecules to basically vibrate in any of six different ways. And so based on the frequency of information and the magnetic field present in your cells, that literally orients the water molecules around your cell. And that orientation forms basically a resonant hologram that your DNA matches to know what hormones, proteins, enzymes, et cetera, to produce at different times of day. And so what is happening for people is we're getting bathed in dysregulating signals. We have all this EMF, we have all these poisons that we're putting in our body, and it is disrupting the structure of water around our cells. And one thing that's really important to realize is that that structure around our cells is literally the filter that everything we experience needs to run through. And so we have. if we have trauma, if we have disease, if we have all these different things, it shows up in that water structure in some fashion and then filters our perception. And so part of what I do is looking at all of these different pieces of the puzzle and saying, wait, we can't block EMF. I spent eight years designing ultra low noise power supplies for electronics and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to design the, do tests on this stuff. And at the end of the day, what I tell people is you literally, unless you are completely encasing your body in in multiple shielding materials, it's really not feasible to to block EMF um, Mm -hmm. or absorb it. So these little pendants, these little, um, these little uh, organite type things, while they do work in their location, if it's only sitting on your desk, it's only absorbing in that area. And so it's not doing anything for your body except placebo effect. And so what I tell people is you can't block those dysregulating signals. It's just not feasible in in the modern age. So instead, we wanna feed your body as much regulating information as you possibly can. And so that's part of why people are having the dreams that they're having from some of the spiral movement you're doing, that's why some of the people are, um, you know, feeling better when they get sunlight, that's part of the reason that all of these different, um, you know, like the magnetic sleep pads, all of the PEMF, all of those different protocols, and that's what I have on now is a PEMF, the low-level PEMF device, but um, all of these different protocols are designed to help regulate the system against the dysregulating signals. And so when we look at structured water, when we look at all these different pieces of the puzzle, it's basically about making sure that the one, the cells are hydrated, so that there actually is, um, so that there is water to actually be structured because when there's not, those cells calcify, and that's where the trauma gets caked in from, from years of whatever people have been through. And so that trauma gets stored in those, that calcification or dehydrated tissue. And so mm-hmm. the reason I tell people that, like even just to segue into spirals a little bit, just to see how that all overlaps, is when our muscles get compressed, so we, if we have an overactive muscle somewhere, there's compression that happens in the tissue. When that gets compressed, it gets dehydrated. When it gets dehydrated, it doesn't send information anymore. And so, a lot of times, when we start moving the body in that sort of context, you start sequencing energy flow through your body in a much more holistic context. That sending that that then allows these muscles to retention. And when that retentions, now suddenly you have nerve, you have you have hydration, you have nerve supply, you have all these things showing up in this once inactive, in an overactive or underactive. Uh, muscle structure and any of the memories or things that were stored in that structure now are free to move and be released and, and whatever. And so, part of the reason that a lot of this spiral training works the way that it does um, is because of the fact that, at least in terms of the way that I approach it and think about it, is the fact that our our, our bicep, we don't have a separate bicep and tricep and forearm and chat, Like we don't have separate muscles. Everything, you know, there's not a disconnection between our vascular system or our fascial systems or skeletal systems or um, you know nervous system. It's all one unit that is all interconnected between your big toe and your tongue. And so if you are trying to disconnect something that is inherently 100% of the time connected, it's going to cause things to shift in some way. And I've just found more success in integrating and in looking at that from the context of, Okay, well, these spirals evolved and shaped based on certain biomechanical principles that that we evolved to doing, which is walking, running, and throwing. And Mm -hmm. those principles then translate to every other movement that we can possibly do. because walking and running in general are some of the most biomechanically complex movements that we can do due to the sequencing and when the muscles need to fire. and If something doesn't fire, where the anchor points move in your body, all of that kind of stuff that starts to change. And so I started to look at all of my pieces of the puzzle, not as separate pieces of the puzzle, but the same thing because ultimately it is. So when I'm looking at or working with a client even I'm, I'm doing color puncture, I'm doing movement, I'm doing sound therapies, I'm doing PEMF, I'm doing a whole list of things to help move energy and regulate the system and tie the puzzles together because I don't, like I have the tools, wow. I might as well combine them.
1: That is, that is a very cool approach to training. So it's really you're integrating uh, movement of information and energy uh, more than just uh, physical, structural training of the the muscle system or cardiovascular system. You're looking out a lot further, it Absolutely. seems like. Yeah. And I wanted to, real quick, because this for me is so new. Um, and a lot of things you bring up, like the, the crystals and you even mentioned the placebo effect. Has this been demonstrated as an actual change uh, in studies because you know, this is kind of relegated to the alternative space, but is the mainstream kind of picking up on this? I've seen stuff on EMF and um, other things that are accepted as, yeah, this is changing you at a cellular level.
0: Yeah. So, well, so, so here's the thing, everything that I present, like, for those who don't know, I've done hundreds of color treatments. I've done 64 ayahuasca and other plant medicine ceremonies. I've done a lot of work that has opened gateways for me. So God damn. the things that I get and piece together, people are like, what? And I have to kind of step back a couple of steps sometimes to realize, oh, wait, not everybody <laughs> understands this stuff. But um, mm-hmm. what what I find is um, the pieces of the puzzle have scientific uh, backing to them. So the fact that EMFs open voltage gated voltage gated calcium channels and that causes the basically the loss of electrons in our body. The the fact that um, EMF, which light is EMF, you know, there's EMF is a spectrum. The electromagnetic spectrum is huge, infinite even. And so you know we think of light as separate from EMF, but they're all the same thing. They're all light. They're all photons. And And so, all of those different frequencies of EMF. So, if you look at sound, sound is lower frequency, light is super high frequency, radio frequencies fall in between some of that stuff. And so, you know, if you start to look at all of that as vibrational information, because that's literally all it is, if you look at a computer, everybody thinks, oh, digital is ones and zeros, and at no time is it ones and zeros. What it really is is a voltage that represents logic high versus logic low, and we translate Mm. that to ones and zeros. And so the same thing is occurring in our bodies is the fact that we we are effectively uh, com- biological computers that have voltage that's running through our system because our cells have a have a, uh, a pH is a measure of potential hydrogen, which is a measure of voltage in a liquid. Um, and, and so we have um, conductive circuits in our body that need to be flowing in order for all of our systems to function at their best, basically. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at all those pieces of the puzzle, when you look at um, you know, the evidence behind structured water and how water gets structured. And then you say, okay, so when, what's happening when we, um, I'll step back a little bit just to kind of explain the structured water because it's kind of cool and I think people like what, what, how that translates yeah. to everything else. Um, so water usually is kind of shaped like this. So you have you have oxygen in the middle and then you have two hydrogen atoms at the ends. Between the hydrogen and the oxygen is a hydrogen bond, okay? Between the water molecules, so from water to water, to water you have a uh, van der bond that holds the water molecules together. When you structure the water, what you're basically doing is you are, um, it effectively breaks the van der Waals bonds, so the bonds between water molecules, and strengthens the hydrogen bonds. When the hydrogen bonds are exposed to a magnetic field, they orient to that magnetic field. So it, it literally, because water is, um, um, is uh, diamagnetic, it's hydrogen is positive, oxygen is negative. So when you put it in a magnetic field, it, it orients, um, mm-hmm. just like a magnet. So um, when you are bathing these things through um, in a magnetic field in this vortex, You end up breaking the Vanderbilt's bonds and increasing the hydrogen, which eventually starts to flatten the the water molecules out. And so Mm -hmm. instead of having the way the analogy that I usually give people, let's say you're crumpling paper and you're throwing it into a a garbage bin. bin. Um, If you crumple it up, you're only going to fit so many pieces of paper in there. But if that all lays flat and you cut them out and you perfectly sit them in, in the base of the trash can, you just fit. 10,000 times as many pieces of paper in the same amount of volume. And so what happens is when you start to structure this water, one, you're making the hydrogen bonds stronger, which is the biggest issue everywhere else is the breaking of hydrogen bonds and the release of reactive oxygen into your tissues. That reactive oxygen is the cause of all the inflammation and issues in people's bodies, is the inability to utilize oxygen. And there's a lot of layers to that. and so what we want to do is strengthen those bonds so that one, the the when you have a smaller water molecule, it's able to enter the cell, so now you're actually able to get water into the cell. In the cell itself, you have your mitochondria basically use water to produce energy. If you look at the the Krebs cycle and all those different pieces of that puzzle, they're using hydrogen and oxygen to produce ATP. Um, and can they produce it from other things? Yes. but at the most fundamental levels, they're using hydrogen and oxygen. And so the more you can get water into the cell for that to happen, the more energy that you could potentially produce. Um, The other piece of that puzzle is the more water and hydrogen you can get into the cell, hydrogen itself is a selective antioxidant and it is the smallest molecule in the universe. So it can fit in places no other antioxidants can fit in, which no other antioxidants can actually go into the cell. They always work outside of the cells. And so hydrogen can actually enter the cell, which is why when you start to structure your water, you start to have all these these Herxheimer reactions as your cells eject debris. Um, and so you'll you know, release a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens with spiral movement. You'll find that you have bowel movements, all that stuff starts to happen when you start to spiral because it's, it's releasing some of that stuff and rehydrating it. Um, do you have a question or are you, or are you so, just thinking?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm just looking big picture here. It, is the purpose behind these things from an evolutionary perspective or more of a uh, optimizing hacking perspective? Because I think about light, like there's people who evolved with very little light in some places, mm-hmm. a lot more, and then we adapted with the you know, skin color and other things. Um, is this more similar to like natural spring running water? Uh, so is that approach of, of evolution and what we've kind of evolved with, uh, As in you, mind with these so protocols. there's two
0: pieces to that puzzle. There's I kind of have two answers for you there. Um, the problem is, with all there's no natural water anymore that's that's good for your body. There's so much mm. geoengineering. There's so many chemtrails. There's there the water that you drink if it came from outside, if it hasn't been filtered, it's filled with fluoride. It's filled with heavy metals. It's filled with um, it, endotoxins, a whole bunch of different things that have been rained down from acid rain. Um, and so the water that runs down a stream does get structured, and the way that that water gets structured is, is, is two ways. One, it's running across the magnetic field of the planet. Um, so running water across that magnetic field does the same thing to the structure. The other piece of that puzzle is as the water runs across the rocks and minerals and different things. All of those different minerals, whether it's crystals or minerals or, uh, you know, like the gems and crystals that I was talking about, all of that stuff contains, all that stuff grows, let's say. So it grows Mm -hmm. out of the earth within the light magnetic atmosphere of that location. And so all of those rocks are absorbing that information as they develop. And so that information when we eat You know, when we eat a, um, let's say we're eating minerals of some kind. Those minerals, it's not the mineral that our body is asking for, but it's actually the information that that mineral contains that our body ends up using. So let me step back a little bit. If you look at astronomy, for example, so if you're looking at the night sky and you wonder how do these astronomers actually know what the composition of those stars that are 100,000 light years away? How in the world could they possibly know what is in those those clouds? And the way that they determine that is called emission spectroscopy. And emission spectros- spectroscopy basically is a is how they and they measure the absorption and emission of various elements of the periodic table. So every element on the periodic table absorbs a certain spectrum of light and it emits a certain spectrum of light. And based on that knowledge, they can then tell, based on the light that's being absorbed and emitted, what the composition is of those distant stars and galaxies. And um, and so what, what I look at then, especially just doing what I do with color, is is saying, okay, if those minerals are supposed to be nutrition, I started to back up a little bit and look at a higher viewpoint. If everything at the most fundamental levels are protons and electrons, then everything that we eat, fats, proteins, carbohydrates, eventually get broken down to protons and electrons if our body is, the metabolic oxidative metabolism in our body is working correctly. And so when you say, okay, they're this mineral deficient or they're, they're needing this sort of compound, it's really that there's a light arrhythmia in their system that has altered the structure of water that has changed the way that their cells are producing certain hormones and proteins. Because ultimately, that's why you say, okay, take whatever vitamin A so that your body can produce X, Y, and Z. Because it's not getting enough vitamin B, therefore the energy system isn't working because vitamin B is needed to create that that chain of events. And the reality is, is that information contained in those minerals is light information that helps to structure the water around your cells. And so when you start to look at those deficiencies in nutrition as light deficiencies, you start to see why people who live in the sun all the time can eat almost any diet and still you know, have have no health issues. Because most of the time, most disease is a light arrhythmia issue, meaning that you're getting the wrong kind of light at the wrong kind of day at the time of day, or not the right spectrum of light. Because the light right. first thing in the morning sets up a cascade of events in our circadian biology that allows us to produce testosterone first thing in the morning. It allows, you know, the cortisol spike when we first wake up so that we feel alert. It's what sets in place our liver to release uh, glycogen and our thyroid to turn on and so there's certain cascades of things that need to happen first thing in the morning so that those events actually take place and our liver and thyroid and all that start to work. Now and there's a lot of layers of misinformation that come out of that world because there's a lot of money in that world and so it's easier to distract Mm -hmm. and manipulate people into it the more misinformation you put out there, the easier it is to say, even though this isn't right, I can still sell it. And and so just doing what I've done with color, I've realized I can regulate testosterone and estrogen levels, I can regulate hormone levels, I can regulate organ systems, I can regulate um, all different manner of, of trauma and whatever else by using light intentionally. So I have my color tools here, I'll just talk about them while I'm sitting here. but. This is the color pen, or this is the pen, and and there's different colors.
1: And this is what you're going to be showing us at the Emptiness Project, is the color puncture. Yes. And this this is the first time I've ever heard of it, uh, after talking to you. But I've been hearing the testimonials uh, from people, and it's pretty amazing the change they feel. And in the end, that's what I'm personally looking for, is the experience of, does it Work does it feel better? Does it make change? Um, so there's really cool stuff out there. I'm saying, so yeah, please tell us about uh, it how this is, works.
0: This stuff is mind blowing. Like, even even the first treat. So some of the treatments can be really dysregulating, um, in the sense that that it's like a stick of dynamite to your subconscious. So I don't start with those treatments. <laughs> you kind of have to peel the onion a little bit and get to the deeper and deeper layers. But what, what I will be doing is a really, really powerful treatment with people. And I do um, specifically a prenatal treatment. And the reason that I do that is, one, because it's a good first treatment, but also because prenatal trauma is trauma that occurred while you were in your mother's womb which means that every emotion, every experience, every trauma, every feeling she had was imprinted on you before you had perception. Meaning this was before you can go, like you can't get there with hypnosis, you can't get there with meditation. Sometimes you can heal it with psychedelics, but you can't get there and get it to clear at anywhere near as much depth as what I've gotten from color. And I had already done ayahuasca many times before going and doing color for this specific treatment. And so the prenatal treatment deals with that trauma that was picked, packed on before you were born. And that trauma then shows up in your life and all of your relationships and in your interactions, in your stresses and all these different things that show up. So for me personally, I had a, a um, my mom was bullied while she was pregnant with me and I was bullied all growing up. Um, and even into my audio business and different things that I was doing. And then the other piece of that even more dramatically was a damsel in distress story. And so I would always betray myself in order to avoid betraying the person I was with. And what the color puncture treatment loved me to do, and this is crazy. So this prenatal treatment, um, I did, and I left, I left afterwards and literally 20 minutes, within 20 minutes, um, my mom called to trigger every single one of those lessons. Like it, this mm-hmm. is no joke. So she called me and triggered every single one of my damsel in distress stories. She's bawling her eyes out. She's trying to get me to rescue her from what she's feeling. All these different things are coming up. And normally, before the treatment, I would have rescued. I would have gone in and, and, and assuaged all the different issues that were coming up. And what that would happen was it immediately allowed me to see that through a new lens and wait. That's not my work. I don't need to do this for her. This is just triggering from, from the prenatal treatment. And I was like 100% aware of what it was. And that has been the case mm. with everybody I've done this treatment with, that like their, their, their ex will call or their parents will call or their, you know somebody who is mirroring that lesson to them will just show up within a day or two and um, will give you an opportunity to make new choices around uh, that subconscious program. And just by shining a light on your feet, So there's different colors for different points. So these are all, there's different ways to do um, different treatments. And so um, every color obviously has a different uh, vibrational wavelength and will penetrate at different levels. So, you know, if you're using the, there's spectral and soul spirit colors. If you get into the soul spirit colors, you're going to be digging deeper into the subconscious. And there's just different points all over the body, depending on what kind of treatment you're doing. The second treatment that I usually do for people is called a Bardo treatment. So once we've done prenatal, prenatal tends to be in the ancestral pot, meaning it is, um, the the ancestral pot is stuff that you've, your lessons that you've collected in your past lives. It's the, the, the traumas and programming that you put together before you came down here. And so it was the could stuff you,
1: that- Could you explain the past lives? Sure.
0: Um, so we have, this is not our first time on this rodeo. We have had many, 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 many past lives just working on the lessons that you are trying to learn in this particular lifetime. And we are in a very unique time in history where the energies that we're being bathed with are allowing us to wake up enough to see those lessons and be able to be more precise about our work around them. So that's why everyone is talking about trauma right now and healing their trauma and all this stuff, because astrologically and cosmically, it is on that timeline that we are able to level up in that way to get that to clear. However, this is not the first time that I've had to deal. So, for example, I have had uh, 41 past lives alone that dealt with uh, trauma, abuse, and neglect. And so I've done work on each of those through my ceremony work and shamanic work and quantum clearing, different things that I've done to work on the lessons that were part of those traumas and themes. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that we keep coming down here is we have these lessons, because they, 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 they're all roped into our experience. So the whole point of kind of coming down here is for us to learn and expand, you know, is to experience. And each time we come down here, we spend some time in what's called the Bardo space. You might say that's in the womb. You might say that's in, you know, the astral planes, wherever you want to call that. But the Bardo space is the place where we ex- we, um, we make this, um, we basically program our exper- our reality here. So if you haven't had a chance to actually look at your natal birth chart, which is not just an astrological chart, but your natal chart, that natal chart is literally your soul's blueprint that you designed before coming down here. So in my paradigm, I see we we chose our parents. Our parents didn't choose us. And we, in our Bardo space, signed contracts. Like, I signed contracts with you. I signed contracts with with all the people that I've interacted with, with my parents, to act as catalysts for certain lessons along our journey. And with those contracts, I signed up with my parents. I said, okay, I need you guys to traumatize me in just this way so that I have to overcome those traumas throughout my life so that I can continue to learn the lessons that I came here to learn and expand in the way that I, that I can, which is why it's so important to realize that no one started where you started. So the whole idea of no one had what you had when you started, they didn't start with what you started with, they didn't start with the traumas you started with or the gifts that you started with, because we're all on a, a unique journey based on all of the sequence of journeys that we've had up until this point. And so when we program our natal birth chart, we're looking at the electromagnetic imprint that has happened at the time of our birth. And what that means is we have, we have, we have um, comets and we have planets and we have all of these different things in space that all have gravitational and electromagnetic poles on subtle levels in all directions around ourselves. All of that, like the moon affects the water around our, our planet the gravity of all of these different planets transiting and moving create tugs on the structure of the water and ourselves in certain ways. And that blueprint or imprint that's created at the time of our birth is then unwinding as we go throughout time. And that's what has happened through our past lives is that we've had these series of imprints and lessons. And most of the lives that we've lived were asleep. We weren't aware that we had work to do. It was just happening to us rather than us being able to do tools like color and ayahuasca and and psychedelics to be able to then say, oh, I need to look within myself to realize, wait, I'm creating my reality through subconscious programs that are running, I would rather have those programs not be subconscious so I can
1: choose how my life unfolds in a little bit more of a a powerful context. Okay, right. that was a lot of information. Thank you. I'm writing (laughs) a bunch of notes. Um, So can you spell the Bardo space, Bartle space?
0: Bardo, B-A-R-D-O
1: deal. Okay. So
0: the Bardo space, which I was about to say with the second treatment, the, the Bardo treatment that I do with people is about revealing their soul's program. So it is on a fundamental level, looking at the, the reason your soul is here, um, and starts to bring out what your soul's mission is at much more fundamental levels. And the thing that I want to remind people is that it's not, it's not a thing. It's a process. And so, you know, it doesn't do that treatment and all of a sudden, you know, oh, I'm supposed to be an astronaut. That's not the way that it works. The way that it works is through a series of, it could be dream. I mean, the color will give you just absurd dreams. Like some of the stuff that I'll do with you guys is just the dreams are amazing mm-hmm. and informative and powerful. And, um, and it will trigger some pretty cool dreams. But what it's going to do is it will give you information to tell you yes, you're in alignment with, with where your journey is supposed to be going, or no, you're out of touch with your program. And that could show up in a couple of ways. So some people who are out of touch with their program, they may not they might be kind of understanding of it, uh, they may just not be understanding what they're supposed to be doing with the context of, of what that means. So for example, they might be a personal trainer but the way that they're approaching it is not quite deep enough for what their soul is asking for. Or maybe they just don't even know their program. Maybe they thought they wanted to be a nurse or a doctor because their soul wants to be a healer, and the real mission is that, oh, everything that they're learning through nursing and everything that they're learning through helping people move better and everything that they're learning through personal training, isn't that those aren't it, it's that those are all catalysts and lessons along the journey to piece it together. So the way that I show people that is really through my story. Um, and and this is kind of cool uh, in general. So for those who don't know, I've injured a lot of stuff doing gymnastics over the years. So I broke my back, I've torn my biceps, I've torn both my ankles. So every like physical ache and pain I possibly could have had, I've pretty much gone through. and one of the interesting things about that is, uh, the vertebrae I broken my back was my L3 vertebrae. And one of the color puncture treatments that I do, and this is a much later treatment is called the transmitter relays. And the transmitter relays deal with the karmic imprints that affect your life here and now. So they're the subconscious programs that run your life, all the, you know, the, the opportunities that show up, the, the, the relationships that show up, the triggers that show up in your life. It basically has, um, there's there's basically eight circles on the forehead for this transmitter relay. And each circle is like a eight. deeper and deeper layer. layer. Um, and you start off with, the, the first circle is the first 25 years of your life. And so you test the age points to see where those traumas actually anchored up. And as you go to the other circles, you always test the age points and then you map them out to the other circles. And so the first four circles deal with the physical reality here and now, the fifth through eighth circles deal with your soul level of of imprints from past lives and different things. And so when you get to the sixth, seventh circle, I had a, so for me personally, I had an age three point that kept showing up, um, which means that there was a trauma that happened when I was three years old. And so I kept bouncing back wondering what it was and this point kept showing up in every circle. It wasn't clearing. And so I wasn't sure what it was. And finally on the seventh circle, it showed up and the seventh circle is victory over yourself. Um, and so what it does is it takes your life lesson and it forces you to be confronted and learn it. And for me, one of my big lessons was patience. And when I was three years old, I was at my great grandmother's house outside of her, outside of the door. And, uh, I was, I couldn't reach the handle to let myself in. And so I had knocked, and and my family was already on their way to let me in, but I wasn't patient enough to wait for them to let me in. And it was a glass door, and I jumped through the glass door. And that created a cascade of events throughout my life that um, – and this is crazy. I'm going to – like when I get through some of the rest of it, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. So that created a cascade of events through my relationships and through my injuries that, that, that I saw the thread once I got to the seventh circle. And that age point on the seventh circle, when you map it out, along, because these all map out along your spine, so you Mm. can see which points hit which vertebrae and which organ systems. Mm. That age point mapped to my L3 vertebrae that I broke when I was doing gymnastics when I was 17. But it goes a little bit further. I had continued to dig out some of these stories and I was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with mapacho, but it's basically a a sacred tobacco that they use in a lot of ayahuasca Mm -hmm. ceremonies, and I love it. Um, But I was gonna have some mapacho, and the ashes jumped off of the end of the cigarette onto my foot, and the prenatal lines that I do that prenatal treatment that I mentioned a little bit ago, are on your feet. And the ashes burned points, age points, on those prenatal lines. And so when I looked up what those age points were on the prenatal lines, one, one of those age points dealt with the vertebrae that I broke. <laughs> the other point mm. dealt with an, a, a nine week age point. So I asked my mom, what happened when I, you were like nine weeks pregnant with me, what was going on? She's like, well, you're, my, my grandmother was basically bullying her about like just, it, it's my mom's story. She has a lot of different stuff, but that's what created those cascades of things that were happening later in my life that started to show up through some of these treatments. And so the beauty of this isn't just the realization of where those things came from, it's that it literally lets me look at it and make a new decision, and it has never come back since. So all of those damsel in distress stories, gone. All of the fears, gone. All the triggers, gone. So the stuff that I judge in myself, it allows it to come up to the surface so that I can see it through a new lens. I'm able to look at it and say, okay, don't need it, goodbye, and it's gone, like
1: forever. But Ryan, it
0: became easy for me, but it's not necessarily easy.
1: Would you say you chose these things first? Is that correct? These traumas that come up? Yes. On
0: some level I did. So, so here's the way that I paint that tapestry. I chose the catalysts or I, I chose the lessons that I wanted to learn, which was patience and not betraying myself in order to avoid betraying other people. And, you know, the, the similar lessons that a lot of people have to learn. And from that framework, there's free will on when the catalysts show up, depending on when what I'm listening, how well I'm listening to the universe. And what I mean by that is the universe is always talking to you in the lessons you're here to learn. But when we have the blindfolds on to what we're feeling in our bodies, to what we're experiencing in our life, not realizing that we're creating all of it, we end up having blinders to the more subtle catalysts that are showing up that say hey you probably shouldn't be going to lunch with this person or hey you you shouldn't go run to the gym right now because you need to sit with what you're feeling all of those different signals that your system is sending you are um, are usually start really subtle, and then as the universe says okay you're not it knocks a little bit louder and then you don't listen. It knocks a little louder. And then suddenly you break your back or you twist your ankle or you pull a shoulder or whatever it is that's saying, okay, you need to slow down and listen because you're not hearing the messages that are being delivered to you all along the way. And so when you're sleeping and that happens, suddenly you're like, I just got in a car accident for no reason. I don't know why this happens. And you're like, well, it happened because all these things happened along the way and you just ignored them. And and now it said, okay, you need to settle down and downregulate. And, um, and that shows up a lot.
1: And so there's people out there who would say, what about babies who are killed and, like, terrible things that happen where there seems to be no reason? So is this just a, a rough pattern that we could try to navigate, or is it a hard rule? So, so babies who – let's say there's two different layers
0: to that. So you have babies who are born and die early. You also have babies that are unborn. And so there's two mm-hmm. different things that are happening here. Um, the babies that are unborn chose that story. So the, they came down as catalysts solely for the mother. And so that mission for them is to give the mother the, the trauma and experience of losing that child so that they had to overcome whatever is connected to that. On the flip side, when a child dies early, you have to, so, so I'll back up just a little bit. When we die, let's say we died from our past life. When we have all this trauma, we die from our past life. There was a, there was basically an astral net that was around this planet for a long time that has has since cle- has since broken, um, within the last I think six months.
1: Oh and, shit! That yeah, sounds so pretty big. So that's why <laughs> a lot of stuff is
0: changing right now. And so we had this net, and what this etheric net did um, it was it basically held our vibration at a lower density, and so that lower density when we die caused us to show up at lower astral planes when we would pass away. And so in those lower astral planes, our religious and ancestral and different life programs still exist. And so we are greeted by our ancestors, we're greeted by um, our guides, we're greeted by these people in these lower astral planes and they say, okay, Ryan, you have more work you need to accomplish. Let's get started going in programming for the next round. And this is after a period of rest and reflection when you go through, you know, all your, you know, Akashic records or whatever you want to call them. And so you go through this, pe- mm. this process of rest and relaxation, and then you start going over into the Bardo space where you program your astrological chart and your palmistry and all of these different layers of things that determine your, your personal reality. Say your personality creates your personal reality, you know, and so all of those are intertwined that way. However, what these guides say is, okay, walk into the light, and when we walk into the light, what we don't realize is that light is a very strong etheric and nuclear blast that wipes our memory. So, so from this huge entity that remembers all of who we are. And our memories wiped, we wake up in this teeny tiny infant baby body that we have no idea why we're there anymore, because we don't remember the fact that because our memory is wiped, we don't remember even why we're here anymore. So that's why babies cry when they're born because it hurts. <laughs> you have this huge spirit that's squished into this tiny creature, and that's why the children tend to learn so quickly because they're still so tapped into that tether, and. And so it happens a lot of times. There's two things that can happen there also. When when that infant is born into that body, sometimes it's too dysregulating for, for the soul and the way that, that that trauma is showing up. Maybe they were ripped from the mother. Maybe there was just circumstances where the soul says, I've learned the lesson I needed to learn or I've learned as much of it as I'm going to learn. It's time to check out. And so they check out and don't make it. Um, along the same lines, there's, um, um, that could have been all they came here to learn. You know, a lot of times people like humanity imprints what they think is best onto the experiences of everybody else. You know, they, they say, you know, parents say to their kids, I'm, I'm looking at you, I'm watching you and I want to feel good when I watch you. So I need you to do what I want you to do so that I feel good when I'm watching you. Stop being selfish. And so there's this mm. huge idea throughout all of society that we really imprint what we think is the ultimate goal. Not realizing that, that that could have been the ultimate goal. Like that baby could have signed up to be in that mother and die within the womb because that was the, whatever story it wanted to tell um, in that particular incarnation. And the same thing happens for early births. And the same thing happens for people who commit suicide and all these different things that people are experiencing. When you step to a sky view, you start to realize all the bad things and the traumas and they're all, there's no such thing as light and dark. It is all on the same spectrum. Mm. You know, hot and cold are not opposites. They're on a spectrum of temperature. And so the same thing is the case with everything that people experience. It's not that we want to take away pain and only experience joy. It's that all of them are the same thing fundamentally. And when we can get out of that story, you can start to understand people's experiences at a much deeper level um, so that they can have the healing they need. Because a lot of times we're like, oh, you feel bad. Let me make you feel better. And it's the bad feeling that's the catalyst for them to make themselves feel better and heal. Because if you come in and and steal that from them, now they're not going to heal. Um, and so that's, that's a long winded answer to the question you asked.
1: No, but I, yeah, I think even if I, even if I'm not on board with that explanation, I actually think that psychologically that would be a beneficial way to look at things. Because instead of saying, Oh, the world is so horrible, why do bad things happen? You could frame it in an empowering way, like, what is this trying to teach me? How can I grow from this? so I think the story of that is actually very powerful and beneficial. Uh, and I wanted to ask when you say soul, is that the, um, what, what is it? A uh, seed of the soul by Gary something it, is that the, uh, description where we're looking at, where it's this eternal being trying to ascend and grow.
0: Okay. Okay. I see what you're asking. So.
1: I don't even know what I'm asking. (laughs) So
0: we effectively exist on multiple timelines simultaneously. Mm -hmm. The consciousness we have in this body is not big enough to be able to observe all of those timelines simultaneously, but we have uh, our higher self, you can call it that exists in the higher dimensions of reality. So the way that I look at that is there's 12 dimensions. The first through fourth dimension are um, are you know the three dimensions plus time. The fifth through eighth dimension is the information and organ, excuse me, the information and organization space. And then the ninth through twelfth dimensions are the zero point field, which is where all information exists, all and time doesn't exist. And so, the way that I look at the difference between spirit, soul, and body, is spirit is the pure information. So that pure information that exists in the zero point field for everyone is always flowing. That's where our ideas come from. There's no such thing as a new idea. There's no such thing as new technology. There's None of that is new. It's all old technology that's been repurposed. And um, so all of these inventions, all these creative genius, all that stuff is coming from that zero point field or just being reintroduced from other entities bringing in technologies that have already been around. And the, the thing that happens is when our higher self or our soul is managing the gate between us and that information field. So they're kind of the gatekeeper in terms of managing the contracts we've signed, in terms of managing our experience and managing our insights. All of that kind of stuff is, they're controlling the valve. And what happens over time as you build your relationship with your higher self, because you can communicate, ask questions, and get answers um, that way and be able to interact with it. And that's one of the things I'm happy to teach at the Emptiness Project because it's powerful as can be and easy. Um, But it's um, one of those things that is a really cool tool to be able to get guidance kind of in that moment. Am I, you know, it, am I supposed to do this? You know, or is this, is it not only should I eat this food, is this food going to be utilized by my body? Is my body going to be able to digest this food? All that kind of stuff, yeah. you can start to use that connection to be able to get deeper insights that, that allow you to have a, a better guideline. And so when, when our higher self, so backing up a second, we're receiving downloads all the time. Everyone is. The thing is, most of us are so dysregulated from all the EMF and the non, the just not enough sunlight and um, our diet. All of that kind of stuff has caused a lot of dysregulation in our system. So when that information is coming from the zero-point field down to us, it skips the information and organization space just due to the disorganization in the holograms on our body. Because we have holograms mapped all over our body. And the information, because it didn't go through the information organization space, shows up as chaos or anxiety or all of those different kinds of emotions that people feel. When they're having mind their thoughts going a million miles an hour, when they're having anxiety, all that stuff is because they're getting downloads. The problem is they're not regulated and calmed down enough and then they go run and dissipate what they're feeling instead of regulating and hearing what they're feeling. And Color is a much more powerful, potent tool to be able to regulate that because you can't really meditate into it. You can, but not really. Um, and, And so when I'm looking at the difference between soul as a, you know, a physical thing, it's really not that it's a physical thing. It's that we are always connected all the time to multiple layers of tapestry we can't see. So if anybody has done an ayahuasca ceremony, it's not unlikely that you'll see the Shipibo tapestries, which are those kind of lines and weavings and things that that show up. Uh, And what that is, is that's the energetic framework of the universe that we're living in, basically. And Ryan?
1: Sorry, real quick. One of the things that uh, drew me into the information you're putting out is that you said – you got it from downloads and then went to look for the science or research that pieced the dots together of what you were receiving. Um, And that's what made me think, there's a lot of great stuff that's came from that. Emptiness project actually came from a psilocybin, like download Tom and I experienced together. Um, Do you think, is this something now that you can access with just your will, or do you have certain techniques to kind of access this information from the zero point field?
0: So yes, on some level. Um, so I access the information that I am meant to access at the time. So I'm getting downloads all the time when I'm working with people, when I'm talking, like doing this sort of thing, I end up channeling like crazy all the time when that, when that's happening. When I teach, I'm channeling. And a lot of times I won't even remember what I talk by the time I'm done. Because the, the guy who talks through me is way better and more adept than, than me a lot of times. Um, and one of the things that I find is, especially with what, and, and more so than any of the ayahuasca stuff that I've done, is that color is has treatments that are gateway openers. And the more you open those gateways and keep your system regulated for that information to flow, the, um, the more insights and downloads you get regularly. And, and for me, it started with interest on, oh, getting all these really cool ideas and downloads. And then I realized, well, do I want to always just have more ideas or do I want to expand my ability to utilize the ideas that I'm cultivating now? Mm-hmm. And, and cause the ideas are really cool. They feel really good. They're really fun to talk about, but, and, and so what I wanted to what I started to navigate differently and ask different questions, because all that stuff comes starts from, from questions. I'll get an insight and I'm like, oh, I need to, you know, look this up and I'll get an insight and I'll go to look this up. And so a lot of times it doesn't always come as, you know, one instantaneous download that was like this huge tapestry of information. It's like, okay, I got this piece and this piece, and then I'm like, oh, these fit together, and then I get this piece. I'm like, oh, these fit together. And so I start to piece this stuff together, and then I'll go out and mm-hmm. research and piece it even more thoroughly so that when I talk to somebody who hasn't had those experiences, I can start to weave it for you know for you and say, oh, this is what structuring water does. This is what the hydrogen molecules do. And then as I talk to people, then I start to realize, okay, that's what's missing for, for you and your understanding. Where do I piece that in so that I can continue to refine my ability to present mm-hmm. that? Um, As far as tools, what I find is as I open those gateways, I don't have to use tools for that to come out. So I don't meditate. I mean, I do, but everything I do is a meditation. So um, I did meditate for a long time. I used HAPE for a long time, which I love. There's a lot of different tools that I will um, use for supplemental purposes, like the PEMF device, like my color, all that for regulating But um, for the most part, once I open those gateways, I can just tap into it as I need to a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it gives me, you know, I I basically, if I have a client here, I know what treatments they're going to need, what movement they're going to need before I've even met them. Um, So I tend to get, like, precognition, whatever, insights, and I'll read their mail. Mm -hmm. They'll show up and I'll be like, oh, this is what's going on in your life. This is what's happening. They're like, how'd you know that? And they'll like be bawling their eyes out because the stuff I'm given to tell to them is, is exactly what they need to hear a lot of times. And, um, and that's been a really cool benefit of doing this work is those gateways keep getting more opened and effortless. So I don't have to like worry if, oh, is that going to show up today when I'm working with them or, or whatever? Cause now I just know it's going to mm-hmm. show up as it's supposed to. And, and in the way that it needs to, to meet them at, their particular level of consciousness. Because my level, of my experience of things that I see and the way that I filter is just so far beyond what most people tend to live and understand where they're at now, that I usually will have to tailor my languaging for the audience that I'm working with. Um, And that's another tool that has been cultivated just through the way that I can channel is that I don't have to second guess who I'm talking to that just comes out with the language that is easy for my audience to, to resonate. And they don't need to understand everything. It's that you needed to hear one sentence today that, that triggered this thought that tomorrow or the next couple of days you're like, Oh, and that's the moment that, that I plant that seed for.
1: And I want to say Ryan did like good for you for really being authentic and going against the grain and saying what you uh, believe in your experiences, because I, I've, seen the shift uh over the the past year or two. Um and I think that's that's great that you're going out there and doing that. And I think it's resonating with a lot of people. Um and one, I think it was on one of your stories stood out to me, was someone was like, Oh I I disagree with what you said here and I don't they were trying to counter. And you said, well that's your reality and that's fine. I have a different reality and um you know just wait and see. I don't know if I uh, conveyed that right, but could you talk a little bit about that statement? Because I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, so,
0: one of the things that I realized is that everyone's journey, and I started to kind of, kind of touch on this at a little bit or a little bit ago. Everyone's journey is 100% unique to them. So, you started with, with where you started, you started with the parents you had, you started with the gifts you had, you started with the, the obstacles you had. No one else had that that initial blueprint. And then along the way, you had interactions and you had uh, catalysts that showed up specifically for you. Okay. So.
1: <laughs> Tables have turned. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, what I was saying was that all of these different things that you had experienced up until this point. Um, the the lessons that you had, the counter, the contrast that you experienced, all basically created a very valid perception of anything else that's going to show up in your life. So I might come to my mother trying to, to commit suicide from a very different perspective from her mom looking at her or her husband looking at her or you looking at that story. So for example, the... The things that, that when I look at certain events now just because of the work that I've done, I don't see any of that stuff as bad. I immediately go and look at where the um, – I look at their story, you know, and I try to understand the story that is behind what they're looking for and why they're making those choices because 100% of the time – so let's my, – my mom um, a couple months ago tried to kill herself. And everyone like their jaw dropped on the floor when they saw the way that I was able to talk to her right afterwards, because she basically had a BAC of four point something. She had over a hundred valium pills. She like she was dead and and her, her higher self said, your work's not done. You're going back down there. And um, and I was completely understanding from the standpoint of I was like, I understand because she was in pain and and and. She was not seeing a way out, and there's all these different things that were showing up. And I gave her permission to feel what she was feeling, and it was really healing for her to heal that hear that one from her son, because her husband and her mother both condemned her for it. That she was the devil for even doing that, because of you know, and they're all seeing that event through their eyes, through saying, "How could you do this to me?" But of course they feel that they're, you know, her, you know, her mom, her daughter just tried to take her own life. Of course she feels powerless. Or, you know, my dad, her, her you know, her, his wife just tried to take her own life. Of course he feels powerless and upset about that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from each of those different lenses, you can see, of course, they're mad and, and reactive to what you chose to do. But of course you're valid in what you chose to do because of what you were feeling. And so what that's allowed me to look at is when somebody disagrees with me or somebody, um, it's usually, one, because I can only present so much information on, in my short format that I tend to do. And so usually if they disagree, it's because I just haven't presented all the information yet. But if they're disagreeing on yeah. some other fundamental level, um, it's usually easier for me to understand where they're coming from. Because I don't need to convince anybody, and that's something I learned a long time ago in my audio business. Is that is that there's no convincing anybody, especially the stuff I talk about now. I don't, I can't convince somebody of that. What I can do is live it, and I can showcase it through the way that I think, the way that I behave, and they're like, holy crap, I see a difference in that, and that feeling that I can create in them allows that same catalyst to occur in whatever way that they need, and. And, and so when I look at somebody who disagrees with me, um, which is gonna happen and it's gonna happen more just by the nature of the, the polarity that I'm creating in, in the stuff I talk about, is that I give people space to feel what they're feeling. And, and that's a really powerful uh, permission just because I think a lot of people react that way because they don't feel like they're allowed to feel what they're feeling, both because they don't give themselves permission but also because they, um, because it tends to show up in certain ways that are um, just, it, they tend to initially show up in ways that are triggering to your ego. And so the stronger you've lived through storytelling and listening to the committee in your head about all your decisions and, and making your decisions based on what your family and your, your partner wants and whatever else, You've, you've got this whole thing happening where you're just listening to the outside world and not anything that's happening inside and so when I start giving people permission to to disagree or permission to feel what they're feeling or whatever without me arguing but me acknowledging they have every right to disagree they have every right to feel that way about my content because maybe it doesn't resonate for them but maybe it's either meeting them at their current level of consciousness and because it's meeting them at that level and that level is not ready to translate what I'm saying, then that's perfectly okay. It wasn't meant for them. But at the same time, it also gives me an opportunity to then respond to those people one more time and say, you know, I see where you are on your journey and it's a beautiful place to be. You don't need to agree with, with what I'm doing here. I'm doing this because I, I want people to feel like I feel, which is to have freedom you know, and, and to not be roped into the story and not to be making your decisions based on triggers and not to have that emotional roller coaster that is out of your control, but to use your emotions as a tool, as guidelines to bring you back into that alignment. So that, you know, if I have an emotion that comes up, sadness, anger, whatever, it literally lasts no more than 15 to 30 seconds. It comes up, I feel it, it's gone, I move on. Because I so reflect, find my ability to understand what those emotions are without the storytelling over the top of them that that created it that allows me then to navigate them as a tool rather than me them navigating me really
1: Mm. yeah (laughs) awesome dude yeah i i love that that viewpoint i've tried to shift from I heard an analogy, be the lighthouse and not the tugboat. Mm-hmm. So you, you put out the information, you try to help people, you show how you're practicing it instead of trying to get in front of other people and yank them and change their course. Cause where they are, they may need to be to get to the next place. Exactly. You
0: know? Yeah.
1: And even looking at myself, if I went to the different stages of my life in the past and could, you know, bring out that dj from that timeline right they'd all be arguing with each other and saying you're wrong i'm right yeah, absolutely and i'm at the p- point now where i would say you know you're all right <laughs> yeah because you all need to be where you are at that time to learn the lesson to move on and it's not about objectively this is the truth that everyone must live we do have our own realities and you know, we can't condemn one because it doesn't fit ours. Mm -hmm. So how you put it was beautiful, man. And I love that. Uh, so I have some more, uh, questions, maybe change the topics. So, um, the ayahuasca sessions, you said you did how many this far? So, uh, I have to count how many ayahuasca specifically, but I've done close to
0: 64 plant medicine ceremonies. in general. Um, Wow. So, so you, you
1: have gone deep. You've peeled the onion very far. So get um, harder. <laughs> and one
0: qui- yeah.
1: <laughs> one real quick, because because I'm gonna do my first one next month. Nice. And I asked you about the the diet. Oops, I lost you a little bit. But
0: yes, yeah, so you asked me about the diet. Hopefully you'll come back here in a second. Oh there you go. I lost you for a tail end of it, but I guess you're asking about the yeah. diet. We were getting Yeah. So, so the diet. Um, one of the things that I found. So my whole nutrition paradigm is like to unpack that for this is is too much. I think, but the um, with with a lot of the ayahuasca diet, it didn't make sense for what I know, um, just based on my understanding of the chemicals at play and my understanding of. The um, the reasoning that they have you do that diet, and I think generally speaking, a lot of, they kind of make that diet because it's kind of a baseline safe sort of nutrition to recommend to people so that they don't have any adverse reaction to the uh, MAOI. I have not had any mm. issue with anything I've ever taken interacting with the MAOI personally, but um, but i guess there's a reason for that i find that me eating you know red meat and getting um uh enough salt all of those things that are like recommended to avoid before the ceremony are one of the like i feel way better in ceremony and i get better intuition Mm -hmm. and for me what i find is you're already going to be so uncomfortable in whatever way you're gonna be uncomfortable in that ceremony being hungry or having a headache because you're detoxing or whatever, like check as many boxes off the list that can help you feel comfortable as you possibly can. And one of those is making sure you eat. Because a lot of people will fast, a lot of people will, and I fasted for several ceremonies and every single one I fasted for I had a miserable headache. So, you know, your mileage may vary obviously. Um, I don't get headaches very often unless it's like a heavy metal detox or something that I'm doing. but it seemed to show up for, for when I did that for some of those ceremonies. So I don't recommend fasting necessarily for my ceremonies. When I did them, usually I, um, the ceremony, we're told to get there at like 7 PM. We don't usually take the medicine until maybe 10 or midnight, midnight if it's Yahe or, or 10 o'clock around or 11 if it's ayahuasca. Um, yahe and ayahuasca are the same effectively, just different vines. P- um, the, um, but since we don't take it till midnight and we show up at seven i will have not eaten for half a day by that point so i usually just try to eat normally and 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 do that before um, i go off the ceremony um mostly because i find mostly because i find when you don't have energy to process, you're not going to have energy to process on some level, and there's yeah. already so much work being done in your body. You really want to make sure that it has the energy to handle it. Um, even if it doesn't, the work's going to get done whether you want it to or not. But it can make it a, it can give you a better clarity to navigate it in a in a way. It's never going to be gentle. <laughs> um, but one of the fears is that people are usually afraid of the purge and the purge is the best mm-hmm. possible part of the ceremony a lot of times because it's mm-hmm. really what makes you feel the healing of the medicine and it's not a purge like an illness purge it's usually it comes out of nowhere or it haunts you all night long <laughs> um, and i've once i learned to stop resisting the purge it like completely changed the dynamic of all my ceremonies cuz usually When you're resisting that purge, the medicine grinds you more and more and more until you're willing to let go of whatever you're holding on to. And and so I had several ceremonies where it was just pumping me full of energy to get that stuff to clear. And the way that I use an analogy for that is that when that energy is flowing, it's like sitting in a fast-flowing river and that stuff is pulling out, it's like leaves that are like uh, wading in the, in the river and they're getting yanked off the branches. And so over time, as that energy is flowing, that stuff is clearing and, and being purged out. And those purges come from really, really, really deep. So it's not just like a stomach thing that's happening, it's like your entire body just rings you out. And, and it's hard like I'm sore from it the next day every time um, depending on how much I was per like some ceremonies I didn't purge at all and some I purged all night long so it kind of depends on what work I was working on what my intention was going into the ceremony specifically because if I'm working on ancestral stuff I'm purging all night long if I'm working on like questions I'm not really purging so much I'm just getting kind of conversation basically with my guides
1: um, and- Um, And you said uh, recently that you don't consider ayahuasca a healer. It is not, right. So ayahuasca is absolutely not a healer. Um, Really, none of those medicines are.
0: And really, nothing on the planet is a healer. Um, What happens with ayahuasca is ayahuasca is a consciousness expander. And it does that by creating the opposing contrast to what you're asking for. So let's say that you went into this ceremony because you're depressed and suicidal and you want to feel joy. And so what ayahuasca will do is it will push you to the very pits of your sadness that you have not felt. And it will allow you to feel those emotions that you had been suppressing your whole life. And when you start feeling that sadness, it doesn't feel like sadness, it feels like clearing, it feels like healing, it feels like release. But you're bawling your eyes out, you're laughing hysterically, all of this stuff. You feel the the extreme contrasts of your emotions that you have suppressed or not felt. And in pushing you to that layer, that contrast helps you pick yourself up. And one of the things that I find is, like, ayahuasca works in contrast. So... For me, I've had some ceremonies that just like push you so deep into like just fear. And and the one advice that I would give to anybody is, is if you remember no other thought, surrender to whatever is there or whatever is happening. Whether it's a, a demon or it's an angel or it's a scary thing or it's an intense energy or you want to purge. Surrender, surrender, surrender and let it be there. If it's a demon... Even verbally give it permission to be there, and uh, give it permission. This is new information if, for me. This is gonna. This is like this will be a game changer for you um, because you're, the, the you first have, thing that's I, gonna happen, the first thing that's gonna happen is it's gonna show up in a torrent that is like holy shit. This is way more intense than I thought it was gonna be because that's what happened to me. Because I had done other stuff up to that point that I did that so was like this is way more intense than I thought. And so I'm like holding on for dear life. Like what the heck's going on? And um, and what I was told. But once I realized that I just had to surrender and let it be there and give it permission, all of that like angst holding on completely subsided. And then I could watch it and learn from it like a movie. And, and, and that surrender is really, really, really hard. And the reason that it's so difficult is because it literally finds what you are not willing to surrender for, surrender to, and it pushes you past that and then asks you to surrender. So that's why you get such a huge catalyst for healing from that medicine is it is working to to show you that you can heal yourself and that you can come out of whatever these things are, are, um, are working within you subconsciously. Oh. And so ayahuasca will then like it will push you to those deepest pits of fear and death and and emotion so that you understand what contrast that it's trying to provide for you. And you'll be able to I mean, you'll communicate with grandmother ayahuasca, you'll communicate with the fire, all of these different things happen where it is, like, I've had so many ceremonies where it always pushes me to that level where I'm literally begging for it to stop. Almost every ceremony, I end up begging for it to stop. Um, not out loud, but that's what I'm processing. And, like, I'm ready for the ride to be over. And, and it's not like, it's not always scary. It's not always, it's just a lot. And, um, and what I find is every single time I say that, grandmother is like, no, 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 you asked for this. You signed up for this. You're going through all of this. <laughs> every time. And it's the like the exactly. most annoying. Like, I was like, all right, asshole. Thanks for, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I know it. I know I asked for it. I like at the most, I know it. And, and I and ask anyway, because it pushes you. That's why every ceremony gets harder because it's just working deeper and deeper and deeper. And um, that makes it harder because you're just always peeling those deep layers that are always that layer below where you're really aware that you're going to be working. Um, and so sometimes it's like nausea, sometimes it's physical irritation and pain and overstimulation. Sometimes it's just energy flow that keeps making you want to purge and you're fighting that. Sometimes it's an emotional roller coaster, but you don't have physical irritation. Um, the one thing I will say is when you first take the medicine, Um, Keep the medicine down for about 45 minutes if you can. Usually the first cup is not too hard to keep down. The first cup you take is a doorway opener. So it opens you up to the medicine. So a lot of times the first cup will not give you visions, it's not going to give you much, it might just make you purge. And so what I would recommend is if you can hold it down for 45 minutes and then as soon as you feel the need to purge, purge on purpose. That will get rid of a lot of that gut blurg and and crampiness that comes with the medicine and allow you then to relax and sit in whatever the experience is. Um, That may not happen for you. It may say, nope, you're going to have to suffer through this part. It may not. It depends on what your work is when you go into the ceremony. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you can hold it for 45 until you start to feel some of the effects of the medicine and then purge, then you'll have a much better experience as you dig deeper. And then the second cup, Will blast you off to cyberspace um, and and so if the, a lot of people get frustrated at their first there a lot of times for their ceremonies they'll take the first cup 45 minutes will pass and like I don't really feel much it's like because it's the doorway opener. so so if you remember that if you don't feel something from the first cup a lot of times the second cup is the one that like just completely decimates you
1: <laughs> I've, had,
0: oh, I've had a couple of ceremonies where I've had three or four cups in a night and um, Jesus. I, I had to, they had to take a spatula <laughs> to get me off the floor in the morning once the sun came up. So all my ceremonies that I've done are overnight. So I, in Peru, I think sometimes they go till one o'clock or some of them go overnight, depends on where you are. Most of them that I've done are, you know, they start at seven o'clock, they go until like nine, 10 a.m. the next morning when they close the, they do a cleansing ceremony in the morning and then they close the circle, all that kind of stuff. and. Um, usually when the sun comes up, it is one of the most beautiful sunrises you'll ever see. And, and that's the thing I remind people too, is that the, no matter what you're going through throughout the night, the sun always comes up in the morning. And that is a beautiful reminder when you're in, in the pudding um, that that the sun always comes up in the morning and that when it does, you will feel better than you've ever felt in your life. I mean, there's no other... Like the things that like psilocybin and LSD and all these other things will do in terms of like a flow state and afterglow, it doesn't come anywhere close to the afterglow that you get from ayahuasca. Um, You know, an afterglow from psilocybin lasts, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Ayahuasca will last you a month. Um, So it's a, just a different medicine. Um, I'm actually gonna be doing another ceremony at the end of July with, um, both my parents did a ceremony with me last, uh, back in April. Um, I'm doing another
1: one with I that. To ask you. Yeah, that was. Um, so, so with the the things going on in your family, how was that to actually participate in the ceremony with them?
0: It was the most incredible experience of my life, um, in a lot of ways. And my mom's <laughs> healing and my dad's healing was was just has continued to show up in my life in different ways, and I. Like the, the, like the layers that you feel that, you know, to the point where, you know, you're, you know, you see your parents, not only your parents, differ, but your right parents now. willingness to, sh- to, to purge and do the nasty work that really isn't fun. You know, it's, ayahuasca is not fun. It's beautiful. It's a magical medicine. It's the like incredibly powerful um, for changing your life, but it's not fun. And to see them not only willing to be there, but like digging in and doing that work and sitting with what they're feeling and and, and listening. And, and then as they came out of the ceremony the next day to see the transformations in them um, and just feel how that affected me was just, I can't even describe it. And it just continues to unfold. Now my parents are, you know, doing shrooms and 4ACO every other weekend and <laughs> all kinds of stuff since. Um, so they're doing all kinds of different things and um, whatever now that I've opened that can of worms, which is really kind of fun to have parents that are open to that. Um, but but it took two years of me doing ayahuasca before they were, you know, open to it. But they saw my transformation, you know, they saw how I changed and the things that i had been through and started doing color with them. And then. Little by little, that door opened, and, and they heard the call. And, and that's what I tell people, too, is that you, I don't convince somebody to do ayahuasca. Um, it's not something you're convinced to do. It's something you're called to, to do. And when you hear the call, it is crystal clear, and the, the red carpet will unfold for you when it's your time. You know, everything lines up um, in, in the way that, you know, you'll, you'll have the extra clients that you need to pay for it, or you'll have the extra freedom in your schedule, or the flights will be super cheap. All this stuff will line up to make sure that you can get there. And um, it was just really a neat co-creation to see that happen in the way that that all lined up and how everybody was able to get there and, and uh, be able to do that. And so I'm looking forward to doing another ceremony at the end of July with them, um, dig a little bit deeper. Now, I've done so much of the work, I don't even know what my intention's gonna be for this ceremony, because I pretty much like unhinged a lot of it but I have a couple of my mentorship clients and other folks who've reached out that I'm also going to be kind of shepherding down uh, to that ceremony. Um, And of course, if anybody has questions, I'm happy to help you connect to that. Um, The ceremony, the circle I usually sit in is in Miami, um, and they fly in a shaman. I've worked with a handful of different shamans, but they're always out of Ecuador or Colombia, and they usually have 20 or 30 years of experience uh, doing ceremony in in Colombia, um, and they're amazing. Every ceremony is very different. Every shaman is very different. Every cup of medicine is very different. So if you have the same, you drink out of the same medicine out of the same cup two different times, and it could be a completely different experience. So I haven't had two ceremonies that were anything alike, um, but they're always um, they're always give me what I need. Um, not always in the way I wanted it, but it always gives me what I need. Um, and uh, that's That makes it a very powerful medicine that way. And that's also why it's not a healer. You know, it, it gives you... Uh, because I think people want a savior. Um,
1: and they're, you know, in
0: general, they, they want a huge pile of money to show up to save them. They want, you know, they want to be healed from what they're feeling. They want all the bad emotions to be ripped out and be happy. They want something that's... Ma- uh, this magic thing that is going to rescue them from themselves. And what... I find is that what ayahuasca does is it shows you that nothing is ever gonna rescue you from yourself. You have to rescue you from yourself and you have to be willing to pick yourself up. You have to be willing to look at yourself in the mirror. You have to be willing to look at yourself in the mirrors of the people who show up in your life. And then that is where your healing comes from. Mm. And, and that is a really powerful tool, is just the understanding that, that everything in your life is a mirror. Of, of your subconscious atmosphere you know and um, those mirrors once you start to see how they work become a really powerful tool because then you can navigate them a lot faster so you don't sit in in a muddy spot for longer than you should or you don't feel emotions for long enough that they turn into a mood you know and, and so you start to be able to um, navigate your life with more adeptness and that's where that healing really comes from is is the ability to see from a much wider scope and then make choices from a viewpoint that just knows more because you can't unknow what you learn in that ceremony and you can't unknow what, you know, the things that I told you that you heard that you don't agree with now are still planting seeds in some way that you may never agree with them but they were a stepping stone to get you to find the information that is true for you. And and that's Mm -hmm. the case is that nothing is true. Nothing is the truth. You know, even spirals may not be the truth (laughs) in terms of movement. They're just stages along the way as we understand more and more and more of the layers of blueprint that we're operating on. Um, Because Mm -hmm. we're looking at spirals and we're looking at physiology, but we're not looking at the energetic layers outside of that. So when do we incorporate that? When do we start looking at these other pieces? And so there's just so many layers that we can keep digging into that all make things better. They all make things more powerful. They make things more effective um, in terms of whatever you're doing, whether it's trying to make yourself stronger, it's trying to fix dysfunctions in your body, it's trying to heal emotional distress, it's trying to simply realize who you are so you can show up better in the world. All of that kind of stuff is, is you can't just do you know you can't just look at the bicep and expect to fix your left hip you know you have mm-hmm. to be integrated and so all of these oh, yeah. things are in your left
1: hip to fix your left hip yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, um, and, and i'll continue with that ryan because classically you've done a lot of uh well i've seen you doing uh, static moves gymnastics uh calisthenics type of movements And now you seem to be drifting towards this 3D movement. A lot of this spiraling we're talking about. So do you still um, perform these gymnastics strength type moves? So
0: I coached gymnastics for 17 years um, all over the country with five different Olympic coaches. I, I judged gymnastics at the regional level for five years. It was my life for a really long time. And did some stuff with Cirque, I've been doing that skill work for a really long time. And so when people look at it and look at my ability to do, like even if it's something simple like a toes-to-bar in the way that I perform a toes-to-bar versus a random person doing a toes-to-bar, there's a very big difference in the way that my body moves. And so when people see me move, They, you know, they see the skills, they see these different things and assume, oh, why don't you train the handstands all the time because those are super fun. And what I remind people is that it's not the having of the skill that's fun. It's the exploring and the training towards the skill that's fun. Because once you have a handstand that you can hold for minutes at a time, it's not necessarily fun, it's work on some level. I mean, it's always fun, handstands are fun, but it's One of those things that, when you look at the skill work, and if you've been able to do it for so long to the point where it's no longer the challenge that's pushing you to grow, it's not as important. You know, can I get out and do a back tuck or a handstand or whatever? Yeah, but it's it's like been there, done that for so long that it's not as cool to me as it is to most of my audience. And so the way that I've changed the way I look at it and the way that I work with my mentorship clients is that I try to teach them it's not about the skill. It's not about the having of the skill. It's about the progress towards it and how can we be always solving perpetually better problems. And how can we look at problems so that they are giving us something interesting to experience as we're exploring our bodies. And for me, Because I had so many injuries over the years and so many things that always hurt, I gravitated towards the world of functional movement, let's say, because my body felt better. And I found that when my body felt better, I felt better. And it was more important, it became over time more important to feel better than to just do cool tricks. And I'll do them sometimes for fun. I'll do them some just to maintain them. Um, I teach them still here and there. Um, for workshops and for my clients and different things who want to learn that stuff. Um, But what I wanted to get into was, was the fact that one of my, one of the things that I've always been very good at is connecting to my body. And one of the things when I did gymnastics that I used to love to play with was like trying to flex a single muscle fiber in my quad or in my cat, like a random muscle like that. You really can't flex by itself, but really trying to do it anyway. And I always enjoyed the intention behind the precise activation of something on purpose. And and when I started to explore that more, what I found was most people going to the gym and training some of these types of movement, they they are agitated. They're going to the gym to dissipate something they're feeling. And so... They use it as anxiety for their anxiety. They use it for you know their mood. They use it you know maybe they're just using it to get in better shape. Whatever it is, but they're they're using it because they don't really like how they're feeling, and they want to feel better. And they hope that that particular training will give them the confidence boost to to do that. And what I wanted to switch away from was people going to the gym to turning off their brain and running to the gym to sprint for an hour. To, to check out because so many people want to check out of reality and the whole point of being in this very special experience is to check into reality in the most potent capacity possible. And and the way that I've been able to do that a little bit or start to do that is with some of the, the three dimensional movements that I've started to do because it's not just the movement that matters. It's where are the anchor points in your body? Where are the tensions being anchored so that when you go to, to activate your, your pet, How is that sequencing with the rest of the, the sling systems and the rest of the, the interconnection of, of where those muscles are laid out? Um, and just by getting people to do that, now suddenly they're feeling all of these new muscles connecting. And what I found is like just training these types of movements and, and getting the ribcage to decompress and getting uh, the ribcage to reciprocate properly in with where the hips move all of those different interconnections and the way that those spirals link has allowed me to fix scoliosis in an hour with my clients. It's allowed me to do things that heal traumas very, very quickly. Um, all of that is you know, coming from you know, fixing people using mobility to fixing people using three-dimensional movement. Um, I find that I can do two movements that, that in, in five minutes that fix the problem that would have taken me an entire session with everything else. Because now I'm saying, well, yeah, we could get your hip flexion to work and your glutes to, to, you know, fire instead of your low back. But just because I isolated that doesn't mean that your hips are working with your rib cage and with your transverse abdominis and your pelvic floor and all this kind of stuff. And just creating tension everywhere doesn't connect the dots. It connects every dot, but it does not sequence anything. And so what I've worked on is creating – Specified intentional tensions, so lines of tension or spirals of tension um, that sequence the things that I'm trying to intentionally sequence. So you know, understanding, okay, my this this pec external internal oblique down into the adductors on that side needs to reciprocate with the lat on this side down into the ql and glute on the other side. If one of those doesn't reciprocate at the right time there's a disconnect in the ability to apply force on the world around you. And that's not to say that you need to move that way in all contexts. It's that I use that as a blueprint or a functional baseline. I get people to connect those dots and then say, okay, you've connected your dots. Now we can move anywhere. Um, because it's not the, I think a lot of those, those, those brands, and they kind of have to, to to be successful, is, is they try to say, This is the only way you're allowed to move. (laughs) You know, if you do FRC stuff, they're like, you're not prepared for this. You're going to die if you move your shoulder the wrong way. And there's this big fear mongering among the industry that if you're not functional, you're dysfunctional. And it's like, no, the whole point is experience. So what I want to establish is, yes, I want to give you a tool to create a, a functional baseline in the way that you move. So your body doesn't hurt. So it doesn't have restriction because the restriction is what makes you weak. And then I say, okay, let's explore in any way that you want, whether that's rock climbing or gymnastics or picking stuff up and putting it down or whatever the case is. And, and the reason that I tell people restriction is really where the enemy is, it's not lack of mobility, it's not tightness, it's, it's the restriction because if you think about it, if I was going to push a box, let's say I'm just pushing a box, and I want to put 150 pounds of force into that box or let's say my maximum is 150 pounds of force into that box. When I have restriction in those those spirals, it's like having somebody behind you pulling a band that reduces your force by 50 pounds. So no matter how hard I push into that box, I can't overcome that 50 pound reduction. But when, when I train these spirals to reduce that restriction, now suddenly I'm 50 pounds stronger instantly. I didn't need to lift heavier to do that. I just needed to get my body to communicate properly to do that. And and that's a big thing that overlaps with color because the whole idea behind color is that, you know, are your cells speaking the right language? So if there's dysregulation between the cells in your legs versus the cells somewhere else in terms of their structure or the light they're emitting or whatever, there's a disconnect in the flow of information in the same way that that shows up in your body, which is why a lot of you know, which is why you see really amazing movers who hurt all the time. So why you see really crappy movers who don't hurt at all. Because it doesn't have anything really to do with their movement. It has to do with the flow of information. And, um, and so Ryan, as you...
1: th- this is beautiful, man. This is like poetry to <laughs> my ears. Yeah, so it's, so it's probably right in line with what you're doing for sure. So it's all the same stuff. And so I've just kind of
0: a, built a system on some level around uh, around those spirals. And just, you know, part of what I'm trying trying to kind of piece together is it's easy for me to teach in person. You know, it's really easy for me to teach like in a workshop environment or one-on-one, but delivering this information online is challenging because there's so much intention behind yeah, details and you have to feel it. And so many people don't want to feel it initially that they just, you know, they're like, I'm like, okay, do ten- one rep. And they're like 50 reps. And it's like, no, not 50 reps, one rep. And, and people don't realize that, like, usually when I train, I do like one rep, two reps, three reps of each exercise at most. Like, I don't need to do like an endless amount of volume of training because I can get more activation in my bicep with a five-pound weight than most people will get with a 25-pound weight doing a curl because I know how to send energy to that muscle. And, and that's what I tell people, like, even when I'm telling them about, like, even just a curl. When I say a curl, most people think, okay, I'm doing a curl. I'm going to move the weight up to here. And I'm like, no, I never think about the weight. I think about the bicep. I'm working my bicep. So what I'm doing is I'm squeezing my bicep as hard as I can. That happens to move my hand. When my hand moves, my hand just happens to have resistance in that movement, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is the activation. And so if you start to realize that, you can use five pounds to get a tremendous amount of reactivation in these muscles, which is really what builds the strength and gets things to grow anyway. It's not repetitions. It's not volume. It's, it's the, the intensity of the intention into those muscles um, because that's really what builds the muscle anyway is the intention. It, it's, you know, you, you get, you're in shape because you believe in what you're doing. You know it's this, it's the same reason yeah. one workout works for one person doesn't for another it's the mindset going into it
1: or oh, that's why a stonemason or someone doing repetitive manual labor is because yes. their intent is not on the muscle it's the work yeah uh, and if you are connecting with that tension and you are doing 20 that is unbelievably hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. luck. Like, I mean, if I do one rep with that much energy, I'm exhausted from one rep, you know, or you're not really working hard enough on that one rep on some level. Um, but at the same time, it should feel good to do that kind of energy. You know, it's the same reason like a radiating tension. feels good to our body. It flushes our lymphatic system. It does a lot of stuff to get, you know, when the lymphatic system runs through our body, It's running through our meridian battery stacks. You know, all of those, uh, you know, all of that flow of lymph and energy charges your body. Um, You know, the same way, um, like those. uh, Have you seen those flashlights that you shake to charge? Same principle. You know, the it. Like a flashlight. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) flashlight. Yeah, when you when you when you shake the flashlight, it lights up. I'm still here. Don't worry. But that's the wrong way. There we go. Oh, I'm back. All right. I think it was time for that to fall down.
1: Oops. Yeah, <laughs> Right. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I want to um, change gears real quick. Sure. Uh, interestingly, my diet over the past year, I was following this um, nervous system nutrition protocol. Cool. Um, and experimenting with eating different things at different times with my body. Mm -hmm. And now I'm primarily uh, fats, protein at night, and I've just gone down to simple sugars like honey and maple syrup. And it seemed to be very similar to what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And the last tweak I made was something you suggested, which was reducing the polyunsaturated fats. And that actually made a huge difference in my energy level. Uh, And I felt a lot better, and that's something that i had. But uh, can you – I know this is very (laughs) in-depth. No, I can
0: simplify it. So it all boils down to the same thing I said about hydrogen bonds. Mm -hmm. So most people have two problems in their nutrition, or let's say three. They don't get enough sugar. They get too much inorganic iron and they get too much unsaturated fat. So unsaturated fat, the reason that it's called unsaturated is because it has weak hydrogen bonds. And if, I, if you were listening earlier on some of this stuff, the, the hydrogen bonds in your water and in the fats are what keep the oxygen usable by your mitochondria. And so what happens is when those unsaturated fats like DHA, Um, ALA, omega-3s, fish oils, all of these different unsaturated fats that people are told are good for you, soon as those are exposed to heat or oxygen, they oxidize, meaning the hydrogen bond breaks. And so that hydrogen bond breaks, it releases reactive oxygen into your system. Suddenly you have chronic inflammation that your body has to compensate for energetically to, to manage. And so you're just losing energy all the time. The other piece of that puzzle is the inorganic iron. So when you have inorganic iron, it means it doesn't have a heme group attached to the iron. When you don't have a heme group attached, it doesn't, it's not bioavailable, it doesn't get into your hemoglobin. In your hemoglobin, copper interacts with the iron to actually tell it where to go into the proper places in your cells. When it doesn't have, um, when, when it, doesn't have that group. it basically gets stuck in your cell membranes, it gets stuck in your brain, all of these different things, and then you have these, uh, and then it does similar things to what other heavy metals do, which is when you're bathed in EMF, which, if you remember, is light. So EMF is light, blue light is light. All of these things are um, high-energy light, let's say. When that high-energy light hits those weak hydrogen bonds, or hits the iron, it causes that iron to start hemorrhaging electrons due to the photoelectric effect. So that's, a, that's a, something Einstein discovered that when light hits metal, it releases electrons. And so when that iron, inorganic iron, is collecting in your tissues, and you're getting all of this EMF, you're getting all of these other things, suddenly you're starting to have two things that happen. One, you're hemorrhaging electrons, and two, guess what feed off of that inorganic iron, your gut bacteria. And so your gut bacteria, your gut bacteria basically eat that inorganic iron and convert it to um, l- pulses of light, lipopolysaccharides and um, waste, basically. The, en- the lipopolysaccharides are an endotoxin. So they're an endocrine disruptor that just is is a huge part of why everybody's gut is messed up. So suddenly, people are not getting enough sugar because everyone's doing vegan or keto diets. And so now with these diets, they're on a starvation diet that causes their, um, that that first thing in the morning, their thyroid doesn't have enough uh, glycogen stored because they're fasting into the morning. when their their liver doesn't have enough glycogen stored to activate and produce the enzymes that it needs to produce first thing in the morning, then um, your brain, I forget what the adrenal medulla, I think, uh, triggers a chain of events that spikes cortisol and adrenaline in your body. That spike of adrenaline forces the liver to release even more glycogen if it had any stored. If it doesn't have any stored, Your body then goes to its secondary route, which is to go to the kidneys and have them make lactate pneumonia, which that it can then use for an alternative energy. And this all boils back down to sugar because sugar is needed for the oxidative phosphorylation system. Our body produces carbon dioxide through the metabolism of sugar. Without carbon dioxide, we can't absorb oxygen into our cells. So people who are doing all this Wim Hof deep breathing, they're actually doing more harm than good. <clears throat> well, you don't the, want
1: to do that all day for sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: The, the Wim Hof, the part of the stuff that works for that is actually the breath holds, not the breathing itself. Because the breath hold is what allows you to build up some CO2 and absorb all that oxygen you just created. And, and that's so, what
1: a uh, am doing in the oxygen advantage. Exactly. exactly yeah, and that's what I usually like use. It.
0: Yep. And so it's that same puzzle. So if you don't have enough CO2, now suddenly you have uh, all kinds of acidic issues in your body showing up, your bo- your energy metabolism shuts down, your liver doesn't have enough sugar, then your thyroid shuts down. If your thyroid shuts down, your metabolic sh- system crashes. Now everybody is having brain fog, they're having um, energy issues, they're having issues hydrating, they're having issues with their electrolyte balance, all of those things start to happen. And so... When you start to get enough fat, protein, and sugar first thing in the morning to get the the um, the signals in place that your body needs, suddenly your energy levels go way up because your body had what it needed to, to continue moving. Now, as I've cleared a lot of the parasites and bacteria and things that I have worked on, um, what I find is the baseline of the energy that I need to perform at a high level reduces because I'm not using all my energy to compensate for bacteria that are eating my food.
1: And Ryan, uh, oh, sorry, could you finish that? No, sure? Yeah, go ahead. Um,
0: so, you know, so we're not compensating in that energy for, um, for the bacteria eating our food. And so suddenly we have a surplus of energy. And the other thing that I kind of uncovered and I need to find a source for this still, but it's it. There's there's research that shows that our mitochondria actually produce more output energy than input energy, and so there's another source of energy in there, which makes sense given what I know from the zero point field and different pieces of that puzzle. I just haven't I haven't connected that dot yet, um, but it makes sense when you consider that there are people who could go a really long time without eating. Um, yeah. They live off the. Yeah. it. Um, yeah. or whatever, um, which I like in theory, I love the idea. You know, I love the idea of some of that stuff. I just, there's so many pieces of that puzzle that I haven't been able to get to work. Um, but, but part of it is that it's understanding fundamentally what our body's using. Um, hydrogen, oxygen, which it uses hydrogen for the protons, oxygen for the electrons. The, the um, hydrogen crossing over the cell membrane and the mitochondria is, is is a basically what creates time in the cell. It's what allows the proton fold o- or the protein fold over, the proton tunneling, all that stuff to happen. Um, it's all fundamental around water. Um, and so I was like, well, if our mitochondria use water to produce energy and it's all based on hydrogen and oxygen of that coming through, why can't we just live off of water? Why do we need this other food? Why do we need these other nutrients? What's going on? And so I started to realize that nutrition isn't a lack of a nutrient, but a lack of a certain spectrum of light. Our body's craving light while it's also craving energy. And so when it craves energy, what does it ask for? Sugar and salt, usually. Because when your salt is too low, you can't get water into your cell. If you can't get water into your cell, your prolactin spikes, you have all kinds of energy issues because of that, and then your, your dopamine and, and serotonin get all messed up. Simply by not having enough salt in your diet,
1: and then um, it's energy, right? Because we need the protein to construct the cells and materials, and fats for the, you know, cholesterol for hormone and different. uh, So, so part of it
0: is, I'm, I'm, I'm still uncovering this part of my research. So, so part of what I'm, I'm battling between is. Are those fats, proteins, and carbs doing anything, or are they just providing information? And so what I'm starting to, to look at is through the lens of they are, they are purely information, assuming that they can show up at the right place. And if they're information, um, why, you know, what is, um, so, so the way that I was looking at it is if all these proteins, fats, and carbs are effectively every single one of those is a chain of a collection of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen in some arrangement. Um, so sugar, fat, protein, all effectively the same. Some of them have various arrangements of how those are done, but it's usually all built around those same building blocks. And so what I was thinking was, okay, those, the proteins and fats and carbs that we're eating are the instructions that our DNA uses to know what to manufacture. And so, if you're listening earlier for other people, the, the light uh, coming from sunlight or from whatever the food you're eating uh, structures the hydrogen bonds around the, the, the water around your cell. That creates a resonant imprint. So, that is resonating at a certain shape and frequency or hologram. The DNA then winds, the antennas that the DNA are, wind to match that resonance. And so, based on that, they know what hormones, proteins, enzymes, etc., to produce at certain times of day for certain purposes. And so what I've kind of drifted back to is understanding what my body is asking for at a certain period of time. If it's asking for energy, I've been able to just give it salt and sugar and it works the way that I want it. Or sometimes I can tell when it needed, you know, information to recover or rebuild, and so it's craving. Um, the information contained in the protein. And so that's why I eat most of my red meat raw and, and other things because cooking it cooks the light information out of it. Um, because it's basically you know breaking the hydrogen bonds. It's, I mean, it's what cooking does. And so um, it's, it's been kind of a long thread. I haven't quite figured out where the missing pieces are to really, like there's not really a way to prove that with what our current technology is. But it has allowed me to navigate nutrition from a quantum physics level that has allowed me to discover the things about unsaturated fats and iron and all of these different puzzles that are now really making a huge difference in people's lives. And so I know that I'm on the right track. I just don't have the right necessary proof necessarily to, to deliver that. But you know, when, you're, when your, body want, your body craves sugar because it's its number one fuel source. Like, sugar is its primary fuel source. Of course it's going to give you a dopamine hit when you give it what it wants. Our bodies, like, you know, all of that, you know? And you start to realize, like, all the programming behind some of the misinformation. It's like, wait, we're supposed to always feel bad? That's the right way to be? It's like, no, you should feel great, and you should listen when your body wants to feel good. Let it, (laughs) you know? And, And it's kind of interesting when you start to see those threads. Because it's like, no, our body actually craves sugar because it needs sugar. It's not the sugar in the junk food that makes you fat and gives you cancer. It's the unsaturated fats and the inorganic iron that tends to be in all of that junk food.
1: Uh, yeah, Ryan, I want to ask, so on a practical note, I know how to, where to get sugar. Um, I can cut out the polyunsaturated fats. How do I reduce inorganic uh, minerals?
0: So what I'll do initially, like, so if I have a lot of inorganic minerals in my body to begin with, which everybody does, everybody has a problem with inorganic iron, 100% of the population. Um, I will spend some time cycling distilled water. Um, Distilled water will pull a lot of those minerals out of your body. Um, Not all of them, but it's a really good dent. Um, And I do feel pretty good. It'll actually, when your body wants it, it'll taste pretty good. When it doesn't want it, it won't taste pretty good. So you can kind of judge it that way a little bit. Um, but, but distilled water is a really good way to start that process of pulling them out. And then you really wanna do, like, so for let's say iron, for example, because that's the most important, um, that's really the one that is, is in the most abundance in the wrong places in our body. So that's usually a problem with copper. We need bioavailable copper to direct the iron to go to the right places in our body and bioavailable copper comes from like red meat it'll come from some fruit the problem is supplemental copper is not is is um is unbound and when it's unbound it it um uh it does i'm pretty sure it does the same thing as iron i'm drawing a blank on on the details of that one but um but basically you need the copper. uh,
1: say what are you familiar with what is it um matt blackburn oh yeah yep he yeah. just did a post about that saying... No, I'm sure he does, yeah. Was it the copper uh, promoting, like, fear and anxiety?
0: It absolutely Well, if you look at the same lens that I'm talking through along these lines, the copper promotes fear and, fear and anxiety because of your hemorrhaging electrons. So when you consider that, when you start to have that issue with... Um, your body releasing too much reactive oxygen because it's reacting to the artificial light and things that are, your body's exposed to. And you start to see the thread of where those dysregulations show up in our body. So if you're looking at 5G, you're looking at the inorganic iron, you're looking at the minerals that are showing up in our body, you start to see the thread of, of where they're creating that dysregulation. So if we've been bombarded with acid rain and we've been bombarded with inorganic minerals, we've been, barred, we've, we've been, they've been promoting that you have to have good and bad bacteria and you have to pay attention to that. People don't realize that EMF, 5G EMF, literally doubles the proliferation rate of bacteria, doubles it. And I have scientific, well, I have proof of
1: that one. Um, what are we going to do about that? Because we can't, we can't hide from yeah. that.
0: So that's yeah. why I've done so much work to clean out all, like I don't think there's any such thing as good bacteria I just kill all of it <laughs> if I can <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't so much worry about my. you know it's funny because on the outside I'm, I'm, I'm dirty as can be but on the inside I try to clean myself out but um, the um, that's really what I started with. So the parasite stuff that I do, the antibacterial stuff that I do for my gut, one, it's made a huge difference in everything else that I do. If there was one recommendation I make for anybody in health um, is, is like do um, some of the parasite cleanses and stuff that I've talked about. Um, they are just complete game changers um, for so many energy things in your body, and that alone will convince you <laughs> of, of some of the stuff that I'm talking about. is to start to kill off some of the stuff. And I've done, I mean, I've done every, like I'll, I drink turpentine, I'll take, in, I'll take horse deworming medicine. Like I've tried everything in that world to, to do that. And it's amazing the difference that it makes. And, and um, it, you, you then see those patterns that are like, okay, so we have all these bacteria that eat the, the iron and convert it to endotoxins. So these bacteria are multiplying and releasing endotoxins that are creating dysregulation in our organ systems, hello anxiety. And then you have all the unsaturated fats that when exposed to um, EMF or heat and oxygen in our body, they oxidize, hello inflammation. And so you, you start to see those threads that are all exactly the same puzzle that they're basically breaking our oxidative phosphorylation systems or mitochondria. And the more they can break our mitochondria, the more they break our DNA, the more they break our.
1: Cool. We just keep getting getting kicked off. too woke, man. (laughs) They had to take. Yeah. (laughs) They don't want the information to come out. Yeah. No, I think that's what's happening.
0: Um. So yeah, that's kind of. I mean, I mostly got through most of that, I think. But. um, Yeah. It's it's an interesting paradigm when you see how those things weave. And then you see what you learn from the ayahuasca ceremonies. You see all those different pieces of the puzzle that are, you know, effectively meant to like, they don't want humanity necessarily to wake up at the wrong time. You know, it's all a timeline. And it's not that they're necessarily the way that I present this to people is these entities that are putting, that have been putting these paradigms in place for hundreds or thousands of years, they're not necessarily doing this, To us because they want the world to be bad or evil or whatever it's that they have a they have a vision they're they're like we are with our pets so they have a vision for society that they think is best and they think if humanity is left to their own devices we would destroy the planet destroy ourselves whatever and so like we do with our dogs we say you know we know better than we know better than you, so we're going to contain you and limit your ability to have access to all this information. Because if we gave you all the information too soon, you would use it incorrectly and destroy the planet. And there have been times in cosmic history where that has happened. Um, and you know, plans, planets, you know, other planets, like where we were on Mars, where we on Lemuria, all those different things, and this is a little bit off topic, but where that scenario happened that they had to learn those lessons before they were then transported to Earth and all that other stuff. And so uh, there's a lot to this. We could do another. There's, I have a whole list of information on that world.
1: But I was just going to ask, are they? Okay. And, and I'm guessing these are um, beings, Are these beings that, during that ayahuasca, that would come into contact with?
0: So, so some of them are, some of them are not. Um, Some of them are, some of them are not. So most of the beings that put in place some of those controlling factions, let's say, or you know, the people on the planet who are like upset about corporations and the elite control having their hands and everything those elite or those factions had entities above them who aren't even on this planet anymore. And what happened was, is they basically created this system and then they left it to the entities that were still here. And some of these entities are uh, positive, let's say, some of them are what I would call... I don't really call anything negative. Like I don't even consider demons negative <laughs> entities. Demons. Yeah. So you know, so I don't really even call demons negative entities because I understand that everything that shows up on some level is is a catalyst for us. So even if we don't like what they're giving us, it doesn't mean that it's not a catalyst um, to our greatest growth or benefit or contrast or for us to learn something in some level. And so. What what I have pieced together and understood both through my ayahuasca and through other research and and just communicating with, with some of these other entities is that you've got groups of entities that want us to raise up. And you've got other groups of entities that want to keep us suppressed because they want to continue to feed off of the energy that we output. So the, en- the entities that want to feed off of our energy are entities that do not have the creative potential that we do. And so we're kind of in a unique place on this planet where we're able to incarnate into these physical bodies in a way that other, um, other beings in the universe are not able to have that opportunity. And so there are things that are really special about our existence on earth and in the solar system in terms of the existence of time, in terms of the existence of, of mechanisms that are at play that really don't exist outside of this world. And that's part of why in our dreams we can fly, that's part of why the, those different things start to happen and why we can imagine those other uh, alternate realities or read those books because those, those stories are in some fashion real somewhere. Um, so all of the sci-fi books, all of the sci-fi movies, all of the things that show up on, on Netflix that seem uh, a little far-fetched are 100% embedded in truth. And so they exist somewhere. There are technologies that existed, there, there, um, there are abilities that existed, there are stories that existed, there are universes that existed. Um, and that have been translated from that zero point field to somebody to put on paper or to on, wherever. And, and that's so every
1: what, single possible reality has happened.
0: Right. So every every story has happened. Let's say, and and is is happening, and and so like you look at things like The Matrix, which is a great example of a mirror, because um, if you look at the world that we live in up until several months ago, I would mentioned that net, the, the, the net around the planet. And with, with the matrix, you kind of have all of those different layers of programming that's been imprinted. And, and we have a reality that's occurring right now where, where society is getting 5G. We're getting used to tapping and touching screens all day long. We're getting used to interacting with augmented reality and virtual realities. And they're training that so that the transhuman movement becomes a little bit more seamless in, in the way that that's integrated. So you'll see people starting to integrate technologies into their bodies, and you already see that with the grinder biohacking movement. Um, if you've never researched it, it's kind of weird and worth looking up. Um, but grinder biohackers basically will install chips and different things in different parts of their body to, you know, be able to sense magnetic fields and, and do different things and. And, and, you know, there, it's, there's cool things about it, but a lot of it is, is motivating people to, instead of living in a real reality, to get used to be a battery for an artificial reality. So we're on Instagram, we're on, you know, Facebook's, uh, you know, Oculus, all those different things are teaching people how to be programmed by those screens. And if you step back even further, if you look up like MKUltra, you look at all of those different paradigms that came out. Um, MKUltra is a a mind control program that used light, sound, and psychedelics to uh, program people, reprogram them. And it's absolutely still being used in television, in music. Like if you listen to modern music, all of that is programming lower vibrational emotional states. You listen to all the things that they talk about, they're literally subconsciously programming those things through the beats and things that they're putting in there. And then you look at the symbolism in the imagery that they show through through these artists where some of them always have one eye covered. You look at the symbolism and the money, and you don't re- and most people don't go back far enough to realize that the money system that we operate on is the-, is the Babylonian money magic system. And that Babylonian money magic system tied our life force energy to money, which is why we're so tied to it. While at the same time, they programmed us to think that money is bad. And so everyone lives afraid to ask for money in a lower life. Uh, you know, it, it, with less life force because of the way that those are tied together, feeling like they're not allowed to level up because they're hurting some, somebody by doing that. And and so there's layers of those programs everywhere that you start to see in every movie, and every TV show, and, and every interaction with people.
1: And, and once again, they are – when you talk about the owners of corporations, is that like the, the bloodlines – so, wow. so there
0: are bloodlines around that. So there's different, there's different layers of this. So, you know, you could look at it as, you know, the Freemasons or Illuminati or, or whatever, if you want to call uh, them an organization. But the reality is they are, it's kind of like a pyramid. The things that are at the top of the pyramid, the people below them don't even know who they are. And so you have this cascade of where, you know, people think the top is, And the top is still 100 layers too low below where where the real puppeteers are. And the thing is, when you start to look at these organizations, the ones who originally created this scheme are not human. They're not earthlings, really. They were other entities that came here 12,000 years ago or more to establish that from the beginning of this particular timeline. Um, Because this has happened in 75,000 year cycles many, many times. So is it is this like the, the planet X uh, um I haven't looked too much about that I my, my belief is that there's actually a we're a binary star system um, so we there's actually another brown dwarf star on the outside of our solar system and that's why the or cloud and everything on the outside of our solar system is, is perfectly like a, a, a fine line it's it doesn't have a gradient it doesn't decay um, which is not normal um, for, for that kind of system. So it shows that there's, there's a lot of research out there that shows that we're actually living in a binary star system. Um, but other research, if you look into like ancient texts, a lot of ancient texts actually refer to Saturn as the original sun. And if you go way back into some of those drawings and some of those texts, You'll see that originally Saturn didn't have rings. And Saturn was in the place of where the moon was. So the sun used to revolve around the earth like we used to think. And and I can get into other layers on why I know these things. And and, and this is a, a little bit of a different paradigm here, but um, when when the when Saturn was revolving around the the earth, it was a different, you know, they had a lot of astronomers who used to believe that the sun revolved around the earth because it used to. And what happened was some of these, these powers that be, and, and, and you have to realize that there's, there's layers of creator. You know, I don't, I don't believe in God. I believe in, in, in one infinite creator that has multiple layers of, of sub creator. And so, you know, that's why we are all creator as much as, is anything else in our ability to, to, to create. So there's, you have the infinite creator, and then you have multiple universes. And then within each of those universes, you have galactic creators. And then when each of those galaxies, you have solar system sub creators, and then you have the interstellar sort of uh, creator entities, which are the planets. And then you have the, the, the God entity that showed up like for earth or whatever, which, you know, you look at Yahweh and some of those old Mesopotamian stories that the Adam and Eve story was based on, you start to see that thread a little bit on why this entity that showed up that had this very high level of consciousness was able to, because their level of consciousness was so much more vast than the, the individuals that were down there, the individual looked at that entity and said, oh, that person must be God. Not realizing that it, they're not necessarily any different. They have just gone through more of these steps of ascension or evolution um, at that stage of the game. And so when you look at the way that that works, these different planetary entities, when all of this was, was reset some 12, 15,000 years ago, I think, um, the moon was put in place, and then Saturn was moved to its current position, and they added rings. What are the rings made out of? Water in ice. So if you look at the same thread of logic behind how the Moon affects the water in our cells, the Moon affects the water on our planet, the light affects the water in our cells to structure it, now you have a radio antenna from Saturn that is also outputting information. And so as that's outputting information, the Moon acts as an amplifier to amplify that information, which is why based on the the fullness of the moon, it is reflecting more or less light into what we experience. That abundance of the light coming from Saturn originally comes from the galactic center. And so that reflection of that light is what makes people go crazy during the full moon or the new moon because of the the existence or absence of that energy coming through. there's, there's some interesting people who have talked a little bit more in depth on on some of those concepts. Um, I don't like – David Icke has some interesting things. I don't love most of what he does because he kind of is just a fearmonger, and most of what he talks about is not really necessary. Um, but some of those insights are kind of interesting and worth looking at if you like the idea of some of this content. But the um, – the, the thing that that empowers on some level is the understanding of where these timelines have changed and why we're feeling different now than we might have felt last year. Um, because we are opening up. We're doing different work now than we were doing last year because a lot of these, these things have shifted and changed. And so the, the Saturn-Moon matrix, as it's been called, has, is not operating anymore in the same way. And so as that operation has changed, um, so has our interaction with it. Um, and that's also why a lot of the 5G is coming up, to replicate what the moon and Saturn were originally doing. And so that's that transition that's happening with, with 5G has nothing to really do with technology. It has a lot more to do with replicating what the moon was doing um, and Saturn was doing for however long that was. Whoa. Well, deep man it's still being refined i gotta write it out and piece it together in a way that's easier to deliver but it's just fun you know If nothing else it's not particularly useful really but but it's fun um and it gives people a new paradigm and i think that's also useful in the sense that it allows people to shift out of uh into a different story that gives them more power and that's what i would rather do is is is, is give people even if it's not true if it's empowering it's better and
1: yeah, a hundred percent. Stories, stories that empower you and actually affect action and change your life, are better than knowledge and information that does nothing to um, facilitate growth. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, we that was a good one. I, yeah. <laughs> I got more questions for you, but uh, we'll chat. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll do this again. I wanna, yeah, next, let's do a few of them. I think people will like um, them. Modifinil and uh, maybe some SARMs and Shilajit. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Did you try it? Have you had a chance to try it yet?
1: Yeah, so I've been using it for three weeks now or something. something like that, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty pretty sensitive to, to change it um what um, a lot more um a lot more erections mm-hmm. at night yeah a lot of people notice that one for sure which is not even the so, main yeah. point of it
0: but it definitely makes a difference there
1: yeah so that, um, so that was interesting i did take it once in the evening and i had trouble going to sleep mm-hmm. i don't know if that's um,
0: i haven't had that problem but i've heard of other people having that problem um it might just be um um, it might have been the one time, it might have been you know, any number of things or what you ate with it, or. Um, but um, it's good stuff. It definitely is. It's one of those things especially to, once you take it for a while and then you take a little bit of time off, then you really feel what you're, you're missing when you get off of it. And then when you go back on it again, then you feel that contrast even better. Um, so sometimes like taking a couple of days off or a week off and then feeling that and then getting back on it is a good way to kind of assess it as well. Um, but yeah, I've liked Shilajit for a long time for all kinds of reasons. But it's it's been pretty good stuff, um, and the badaffinil absolutely is really good stuff too. And, and I've I've done research on all of those things, so <laughs> we could probably have a talk just on on chemicals.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, we'll, we'll get back in. Yeah, thanks for sure. so much,
0: man. Yep, absolutely. It was, it was good talking good.
1: to you. Hanging out with you soon. Dude. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this will be fun. And say, I'm gonna put these up. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Oops. Have a good